this recent discovery of both Eddie's correspondence with General Benjamin F. Butler and then the poetry she wrote related to John C. Fremont really tell us just how actively she followed both the political and military events Mm. during the Civil War. These letters and poems give us an insight into Eddie's passionate opposition to slavery. Hello, I'm Jonathan Eder, host of Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston and online at mbelibrary.org. In this episode, members of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers team joined the podcast to discuss discoveries they've been making about how Mary Baker Eddy took action for emancipation during the Civil War and the impact of the conflict on her personally. The Mary Baker Eddy Papers is a large-scale documentary editing project of the Mary Baker Eddy Library to review, analyze, annotate, and digitally publish from this vast and robust collection of manuscripts, correspondence, and other records from Eddy's history and from the early history of the Christian Science Church. So I am pleased to welcome Dr. Rachel Monroy and Bronwyn Arthur to Seekers and Scholars, for a conversation on discovering the Civil War in the Mary Baker Eddy Papers. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks. It's great to be here with you. Welcome, Bronwyn. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, it's great. And and just a little bit about both of you. Rachel works as a transcription verifier for the Papers Project, and she has researched and written articles for the library based on our collections. Rachel has a doctorate in history from the University of South Carolina, and has worked with other documentary editing projects. For example, as assistant editor of the papers of the revolutionary era Pinckney Statesman and the papers of Eliza Lucas Pinckney and Harriet Pinckney Horry. Rachel has also spent a little time working at the Adams Family Papers with our friends up the street from us at the Massachusetts Historical Society. So thanks again for joining us, Rachel. And just out of curiosity, what are the Pinckney Papers? So the Pinckneys represent one of the most important families of the founding period. First, Eliza, who was famous for her cultivation and production of indigo. And then later, her two sons, Charles Coatsworth Pinckney and Thomas Pinckney, and their cousin, Charles Pinckney, who became important statesmen and signers of the Declaration of Independence. And just a little bit about Bronwyn Arthur. She is assistant editor of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers. Bronwyn joined the papers team in 2016. Before that, she worked as a researcher at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Bronwyn holds degrees from Principia College and the University of Queensland. We've had the pleasure of having Bronwyn as a guest on Seekers and Scholars on previous occasions. So welcome back, Bronwyn. Thanks. Good to be back. So, Rachel, one of the things I really appreciated about the two articles you wrote about Mary Baker Eddy's anti-slavery convictions during the Civil War is you gave us some profound history about the figures with whom she was dealing and engaging during this period. So, I'd vaguely heard about Benjamin Butler before and Fremont. I mean, these were echoes from a long time ago (laughs) in my um, readings of Civil War history. So, With that in mind, could you just give us the context of who these people were and why it was so notable 
that she was in touch with and corresponding and getting correspondence back in some form or fashion from important players in the Civil War. Yeah, no, I think it is really interesting that Mary Baker Eddy really begins to understand who some of the main figures are in this push towards emancipation, and she starts to follow what they're doing. And we see that first with Butler, and what's interesting about Butler is he was from Massachusetts, and so there's the Massachusetts connection, and he was a lawyer from Massachusetts, and we see that he uses his legal training to kind of maneuver around the law that it held slavery in place, this idea of the African-Americans being property. As such, they should be taken by the Union military, and the Union military could then free these slaves by taking them on as contraband of war. Some people have argued that he just made this maneuver, not necessarily because he had a strong belief in the humanity of African-Americans or a strong belief against slavery, but it worked for what he was doing at that time. And it was convenient for um, for his military stance at Fort Monroe at that time. And I think what's interesting is Mrs. Eddy can see beyond that. And she can see that the important thing is that there's a movement towards emancipation. In the case of Fremont, he kind of picks up on what Butler has done. And so we know that Butler was successful. Butler eventually wrote to the Secretary of War and and argued that these enslaved workers that had taken refuge in Fort Monroe should be considered contraband of war, union property, and then freed. And he's successful in doing that. And there's actually a law that's passed that is consistent with what Butler has asked for. And Fremont picks up from what Butler has done and tries to do a similar thing in Missouri. And Mrs. Eddy is following all of this all the while. She picks up on the fact that Fremont is doing the same thing as Butler. And he's fighting in Missouri and says that all of the enslaved workers under Confederate masters should be freed because they're also contraband of war, because they're being used against the United States. And so we see this thread between what Butler and Fremont is doing. And we also see that Eddie is very aware of that and involved in that situation. John C. Fremont's just an interesting figure. He grows up with his mother, but has an illegitimate father. His mother and father were never married. And he actually changed his name, adding a T to it, uh, and then adding an accent to kind of differentiate himself from his father, who was never really present during his life. And he's kind of a self-made man. Before he becomes a general in the Civil War, he he's an explorer and he goes um, west and goes to explore the territory from the Louisiana Purchase. And his name is attached to a number of places across the West. He even um, spends time as a senator in California. He's one that helps with the establishment of California as a state. And then he gains some property in California and becomes quite wealthy off of the gold rush. Mm. And then he even runs for president, but is unsuccessful. So Bronwyn, it's wonderful that these documents that are so significant and so revealing about Mary Baker Eddy and about the Civil War are coming to light through the work of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers Project. But I'm wondering, you know, the project has been going on for a while now, why it is that we are only coming to them now, since they're from this early period, as opposed to having them surface at an earlier stage in the project? Well, when we started work on the papers, 
we were publishing documents chronologically. And um, it made sense to start at a place where we were really going to get into documents that were central to the history of Christian science. Mm -hmm. So we decided to start at 1872 when Mary Baker Eddy started working on writing Science and Health, her main published work. And so we started there and we started moving chronologically from there getting up into where we are now, the 1880s. And at that point, you know, our processes were good and we had a good workflow going. It made sense to go back and capture some of those earlier documents before 1872 and start adding those to the papers as well. And that's been a, a really great addition. It's it's kind of a mix of a lot of different things coming in those early documents, from childhood letters with friends to correspondence with her second husband, Daniel Patterson. Her name at that time was Mary Patterson, but we refer to her as Eddie throughout her life just for ease of consistency, because Mary Baker Eddie is the name that she's most known by. Bronwyn and Rachel How do you think about these writings from the Civil War in relation to Eddie's later writings? What's really important about these letters is they provide contemporary evidence of Eddie's views on slavery during the Civil War. And we know that she reflected on slavery in the Civil War retrospectively in other works. But these works really show that during the early years of the Civil War, she took a firm stance against slavery and for abolition and She makes a clear stand just for the humanity of African-Americans as image bearers of God. Yeah, that is wonderful to see that. Yeah, and she directly states it at one point in her letter to, um, to Butler. She says, quote, You, as we all, hold freedom to be the normal condition of those made in God's image. And so really makes a clear stance for her views against the enslavement of African Americans. Yeah. So... She's inspired to write about it. What's interesting is she writes Butler, so she presumably she reads his letters to the Secretary of War in the newspaper, and then she responds by writing directly to Butler. And we know that P.H. Haggerty, who was Butler's aide-de-camp, actually wrote in in response to to Mrs. Eddy. And so we we do see that it was influential what she did, and he thanked her for her support. Mm. And then she also writes this petition, finds some other women that are in support of emancipation and gets them to sign it. And when she moves forward from there, she's following to see what Fremont has done. And she takes a little bit of a different approach with Fremont. And uh, she actually pens a poem that is in support of what Fremont has done in Missouri. And Unfortunately, in Missouri, Fremont wasn't as successful as Butler. He wrote to President Abraham Lincoln and told him he had just passed this edict to free the enslaved workers of Confederates. And President Lincoln asked him to repeal that and to kind of soften what he had done. And Fremont was pretty resistant to doing that. Mm. And so there's a bit of back and forth. And Fremont's wife, Jessie, actually rides all the way from Missouri to to Washington, D.C., to hand deliver this appeal to President Lincoln. Some historians have kind of said that perhaps he dismissed what Fremont said because he sent his wife and he dismissed her as this female politician. Probably because of his own political concerns, Lincoln decided that it was best to repeal the edict that Fremont had passed because he didn't want to uh, make enemies of some of these border states. Mm. 
And so Fremont was not as successful as Butler and his claims. And Eddie responds by writing this poem and kind of reflecting on what she felt was honorable and right and good that Fremont had done in her poem. Who would have seen this poem? Was this just something that she kept privately that uh, you discovered in the collections, or would it have more of a public interface? No, that's a great question. We honestly don't know at this point if she sent it to him. Um, It was common to do something like that, to send someone a poem that had been attributed to them. And we don't know if it was published somewhere, Mm. um, but we can presume that there was intent to either publish or send it to him. Mm. Mm-hmm. We do know that she was writing and having things published at that time, like poetry, but um, like Rachel said, we don't know for sure the intent with this particular poem. Well, the poem is addressed to General John C. Fremont from Mary M. Patterson. That was Mary Baker Eddy's name at the time from her second marriage to Daniel Patterson. And she writes, Ah, the, thou, the fearless and the free, What lofty aims now guideth thee? What other beams, O patriot, shine in that commanding glance of thine? No shade of doubt or weak despair blend with indignant sorrow there. Justice and truth must wave on high. The country owns thy battle cry. Her mount of freedom, too divine, and makes thine inmost heart her shrine. She waits thy yet indignant claim to juster fate and stainless fame, the scourge and chain to trample down, to crown her hopes and wear her crown. I like it. I like that poem. (laughs) It's powerful. (laughs) In no uncertain terms, she's on the side of General Fremont, not uh, President Abraham Lincoln in his sort of compromising political approach, which is interesting because she was a huge admirer of Lincoln. No, it is interesting in both the case of Butler and Fremont that while she might not, and we may never know, she might not have admired other things that they did, she was able to look at these actions, these specific actions, and see them as incredibly important. And I think she also saw the immediate need for emancipation and didn't necessarily want to wait, perhaps. And, And perhaps she didn't see the picture that, President Lincoln was seeing either, but she saw a present need for emancipation. Mm. How does this method of engagement that Mary Baker Eddy has around the Civil War reflect sort of a larger picture of how women on the home front tried to contribute to the outcome of the war? I think it's really interesting to consider how Mary Baker Eddy as a woman who was largely excluded from a male-dominated political and military world during the 19th century, Mm. used the resources she had available, mainly her pen, to influence these top military and political figures. And she didn't go beyond what was acceptable for a woman of her time, but instead she decided to pursue avenues that were considered appropriate within the gender dynamics of her day. Like I said before, that was the use of her pen, her writing, in advocating and writing Butler and writing about Fremont. In her letter to Butler, she opens the letter saying, quote, permit me individually and as a representative of thousands of my sex in your native state. Mm. And so she knows that she's addressing 
uh, Butler as a representative of other women and as a woman. She may have seen herself to have a certain ability to influence Butler morally from this female perspective. It was common at that time to think of women as morally superior uh, to Mm -hmm. their male counterparts. And she really uses that as a way to influence Butler. Bronwyn, I'm wondering, as assistant editor of the papers and having worked with this collection for a while, and as well as with Mary Baker Eddy's longstanding published writings, how do these early writings sort of prefigure some of the themes that you find in her writings after her discovery of Christian science in 1866? It's a great question. And something that stood out to me from the letter to General Butler that Rachel had mentioned also was that statement, you, as we all, hold freedom to be the normal condition of those made in God's image. Mm. That's an idea that I think will feel familiar to people who've read Eddie's later published writings because it's something that she develops out quite a bit in her writings, that sense that there's a higher freedom that's available to everyone by understanding their identity in God's image. And she's writing about it in a spiritual sense. And she also, in her writings, mentions a few times the abolition of slavery, kind of in that same context. And I think that writing can feel a little bit metaphorical because she's talking about it in a spiritual sense, but it's really interesting to me to, you know, see this letter with Butler and the poetry that she wrote at that time, where she's literally taking a stand against slavery and taking it at a time when that view wasn't widely held. So it really, for me, it helps me to see kind of her later writings in a new light to kind of understand what came before them, some of the stands that she was taking, and to really see how that helped to develop and shape those later ideas that we see where she's taking a further development of understanding people's identity as made in God's image. Bronwyn, another dimension of the Civil War was very personal for her. It involved her second husband, Daniel Patterson, and I was so intrigued to see the letters that he wrote to her from Confederate prison. I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of background as to, first of all, how it was that her second husband, Daniel Patterson, ended up in captivity behind Confederate lines. We know that Patterson was supposed to be making a delivery on behalf of the governor of New Hampshire. It was some funds that had been collected in New Hampshire to help those sympathetic to the Northern cause who were living in the South. And so he was going down to Washington, D.C. to deliver these funds. Mm. And while he was there, he went sightseeing on a battlefield (laughs) and uh, got a little too close and (laughs) was captured and taken to prison in Richmond, probably Libby Prison, which was a well-known prison there that was in a former tobacco factory. Mm. And Conditions were not great, and he writes about that in his letter. He writes about how he's not feeling well, and the food's not very good, and he's worried about Eddie, and in one letter he says that he tries to send her some money, and like, did she get it? Actually, Eddie's son, who she had not um, had communication with prior to the Civil War, she um, hears from him again during the Civil War, and he was actually serving with an infantry division from Wisconsin. And Patterson mentions her son in one of his letters, too, hoping that he'll be able to uh, be discharged and come and help her because he's not able to help her because he's stuck in prison. And so 
you see some of the very personal connections that Eddie has to the Civil War just coming out of these letters. It's impacting her husband, it's impacting her son, and she's there at home in New Hampshire trying to figure out how she can play a role in all of this and help out. <laughs> so what, what, what can she do? Well, she actually writes to former President Franklin Pierce, who was a friend of the Baker family, her family from growing up. He was friends with her father. And so there was a connection to the uh, Pierce family for a long time. So she writes to him in his role as a former president to see if she can find out about getting Patterson released from prison. We don't have that letter, but what we do have in the papers is the letter where Pierce responds saying, I can't do anything, but you know, you should write to the War Department. He thinks that Patterson should have been released in one of the prisoner exchanges that had been worked out during that time that he was in prison. And so he's saying, you know, write to the War Department, see what they can do. I can't help you. But if I could, I would. So Eddie's kind of using those connections that she has to try to find out what can she do to get him released from prison. Bronwyn, for those people who are familiar with the story of Mary Baker Eddy, we know that Daniel Patterson eventually deserted her, which uh, led her to file for divorce uh, on those grounds, and a divorce that was eventually granted. But what do these letters reveal about what the nature of their relationship was at this time? It definitely shows how they worked through some challenges at that time. I think there were difficulties in their marriage kind of throughout. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to see in his letters, he writes how he's anxious about her and he tries to send money. And you see her on her end working to do what she can to help him be freed from prison. I was impressed by the voice of Daniel Patterson from those letters. His fluency by... Um, his use of language. I, he, he was more interesting to read as, as a writer than I expected. Yeah, he gives a lot of really great detail in his letter, which I think yeah. just makes it a very interesting kind of first-person account of being in a Confederate prison. You know, he's writing yeah. about the food and, like, what he's seeing out the window. And he gets moved at one point from the prison that's in Richmond to a different prison in Salisbury, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And he writes about what that journey is like for all of them. There is one line that I thought was interesting from the end of his letter from the Salisbury prison, mm -hmm. where he's talking about his fellow prisoners. And he says... We have some strange opposers of slavery here, Virginians by birth, and the strangest secessionist and pro-slavery man here was born and raised in a free state. He gave me this half sheet of paper, but I must not write more. There is a company now singing, do they miss me at home? Goodbye. <laughs> and it's, it's just like this kind of stream of consciousness where he's talking about the other people and then the paper that he's writing the letter on and then people singing. It really does paint a picture for you. And I think on the paper site, you can actually see this letter. We provide the transcription, but we also provide an image of the original. And you see the creases and discolorations. And you think about this half sheet of paper coming from this uh, man that he met in prison and then making its way to Eddie. It's interesting to think about that journey taken by that letter and that we mm. now have it and that you can see it on our website. 
So, Rachel and Bronwyn, just by way of a final question, in thinking about somebody who's interested in Civil War history, somebody who's interested in the history of Christian science and Mary Baker Eddy, how would you contextualize or what would you offer about the significance of these new discoveries that you've been making in the Mary Baker Eddy papers? So I think these documents offer an entry point for Civil War historians interested in the role that women and women in religion played in the war. Mm -hmm. And we can see Eddie's experience to be considered as representative of other women's experiences during the war. Mm -hmm. And we can also see that her letters and poetry and writings contribute to the larger examination of what role religion and morality played in the Civil War and the debates that surrounded abolition and slavery. Something that I think is really helpful about having these letters now on the paper's website is that anybody who's interested in that Christian science history can go and take a look at them for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's one thing to hear little bits of these experiences in a biography of Mary Baker Eddy, and that's very helpful too, but to be able to go and actually look at that letter from Daniel Patterson, right. um, that letter that was sent from the Confederate prison, mm-hmm. or to see her draft of the poem that she wrote about Fremont, it just gives you the full context. And that can be really helpful to going deeper into that history of Christian science, just being able to see those primary documents for yourself and to explore them and to learn from them. Well, it's been great to spend this time with you. I encourage listeners, if you haven't already, to look at these documents and these articles about the documents that are available on our website. There are links to those in the descriptor for this episode. So thanks so much, Rachel. Thank you for having me. And thanks so much, Bronwyn. Oh, thanks. It's always great to be on the podcast and share what we're finding in the papers as we publish them. Yeah, well, thank you for doing that. It's, it's extremely enriching. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode on Discovering the Civil War in the Mary Baker Eddy Papers. Our guests were Bronwyn Arthur and Dr. Rachel Monroy of the Mary Baker Eddy Papers team. I want to take a moment to express deep felt thanks to all who answered our recent survey on Seekers and Scholars. Your wonderfully thoughtful responses have been very stimulating for us as we go about future development and planning for the podcast. So look for those changes and uh, always feel free to be in touch with us at podcasts at mbelibrary.org. So thanks again for your input. It's always appreciated. Upcoming episodes include a discussion of the life, career, and writings of Bicknell Young, a prominent figure in Christian science history and nephew of Brigham Young, the famed pioneering leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Also, we'll be looking at the storied career of fashion designer Adele Simpson and how Christian science influenced her approach to creating beauty in her work. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2022.